How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Joining us in this hour is the president of United Steelworkers Local 12591 in Mount Vernon, Washington. Currently on strike with co-workers at Tesoro Refinery in Anacortes, Washington, Steve Gary joins us. Uh, Mr. Gary, thank you for joining us this afternoon. I, I know you're busy and have a lot of work. Thank you for taking the time, first of all, and welcome. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Uh, Mr. Gary, I was driving down the street the other day, and like most people, I was looking at the pump smiling because I live in California at how low gas prices are. And I think sometimes we Americans forget all that goes into and all that is behind the scenes making that possible. Later, I turned on my radio, and I was listening to some guys in Texas that were talking about terribly unsafe working conditions and a company that would not, big oil, that would not come to the table, not even come to the table to talk about the not just the complaints, but safety issues, major safety issues of these workers, of their employees, who, you know, they're not paying enough to put their lives at risk, obviously, for this job. And, and, and these guys are like, look, we have no choice but to strike. Let's talk about this because oil prices are steady, gas prices are steady, there's a refinery strike, but those prices may not remain steady if these big oil companies don't come to the table and realize they must address address these issues of uh, safety uh, for their workers and some other issues that we need to point out are not about wages, are not uh, purely economic issues. That's true. They're not about economic issues for the most part. And I don't think that anything we're asking the uh, industry to consider in terms of a settlement here uh, for this national policy um, um, bargain that we've got going on really will have that much effect on um, gas prices at the pump, honestly. But it, it could if it spills over, and it doesn't need to. And we're talking about spilling over into you know every uh, refinery worker, and we're talking about eight weeks or more. And, and obviously, uh, the, the ball is really in the court of big oil, once again. Yeah, I'm no economist, um, and certainly all bets are off if this thing goes for months and months. Um, if it was resolved um, um, without having to uh, go a, a long period of time, um, it, it probably won't affect much. But certainly all bets are off if it lasts a long time. Um, we feel that, uh, well, we know most of these corporations are going to try to run these sites um, if they're on strike um, uh, with staff, um, poorly trained staff, I would add, and we think that they're going to have trouble sustaining that. Um, the risk will be increased in those communities where they're trying to do that. All sorts of uh, really horrible things really could potentially happen. Um, all those kinds of things tend to shock markets, tend to uh, get what uh, are generally pretty volatile trading markets go, and, and so, you know, anything really could happen, but I was just commenting on the kind of economic impact that our proposals would have on the industry. It really, they, in and of themselves, wouldn't, I don't, I don't think, would affect uh, the price of fuel that much. As a general rule, um, our wages and benefits add 
somewhere between three cents and five cents to a gallon of gas at the pump. That, that's all it's worth. About 3,800 members of uh, the United Steel Workers Union walked off their jobs on Sunday. This was at nine refineries uh, and chemical plants. And uh, these plants, these refineries, process roughly 10% of the nation's gasoline, diesel, heating oil, and jet fuel. Um, this is the first time this has happened since 1980, right? And these plants right now, these operations are using uh, non-union management crews uh, to do the job of those that are striking, correct? That's correct. They're trying to use um, staff to uh, operate the plant. They're probably trying to bring in non-union uh, uh, maintenance workers as well. Um, in 1980, um, I did not work in the industry, but I think it was a much more involved nationwide strike. Um, I would say we're really not there yet. We've got, I don't know, quite a number of facilities that are not on strike yet. We've um, we don't know where this thing's going to go. If we can resolve this thing at the bargaining table, we may be able to uh, prevent it from actually turning into a nationwide strike. But, but if the industry continues to treat us with arrogance or indifference and tell us that they're uninterested in talking with us um, honestly or productively about our con- members' concerns, then, then all bets are off. We don't know. We're going to have to do what we have to do. And, you know, the country right now is awash in fuel supplies. Energy experts said that refiners are making excellent margins these days. There's cheap crude supplies. There's robust demand for the more expensive spring blends that are going to be uh, produced in the next couple of months with the changing season. And, you know, the bottom line here is they they not only can but should afford the best interest uh, to their worker in this situation, and I mean, I mean, look at the margins of the refineries that they're they're making because of the cheap crude supplies. Um, so why won't they come to the table? And we're not even talking about they're saying no and not you know uh, giving in to the request of the unions and these workers. They're they're basically not even playing ball. I think there's a couple reasons. Um, I think for the industry, it's really not about money either. It's about power and control. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's probably some other things going on here, too. It has been such a long time since there was um, an action like this in the oil industry. Uh, most of those who had experienced strikes and uh, difficulties in the past have retired now, the men and women who, who understood um, how, this, um, how to stand up and fight back when it was necessary have, have largely retired. And our younger workforce, quite frankly, has, uh, for the most part, never experienced anything like this. And they certainly certainly didn't learn much about uh, about labor history in school. So there's probably some thinking in the industry's part that, that honestly, we're afraid of them. Um, we perhaps couldn't sustain anything like this. Um, and, of course, they're wrong. Um, but some of that might play into the industry's attitude at the bargaining table as well. Um, it has, I would say that attitude has been getting more and more aggressive. Um, their indifference to our concerns has been growing over the past couple um, contract cycles, and it's simply gotten to a point where where we can't accept that anymore. Absolutely. There's never been a refinery strike that's actually resulted in the shutdown of a U.S. plant, uh, I don't I don't believe. And, and that's not the goal um, of these union workers, is it? Well, no. Uh, well, we're not looking to drive the industry off a cliff. We want to keep these places honestly viable and profitable, but to be profitable and safe, you've got to strike a balance between not just your shareholders, but your employees and the communities where these plants are located. 
Um, and I think if we do that, we'll not only be profitable short-term, we'll be profitable long-term. I wanted to talk about in specific uh, detail some of what's going on. So the issues involved in this labor dispute, they include health care, overtime, and staffing levels. Now, I want to talk about staffing levels with you for a second. The staffing levels, they say, are too low. And, and what that does is workers get tired and they're more prone to error. I was uh, amazed at what are called daily occurrences at these refineries, fires, emissions, leaks, explosions. And so that people understand this doesn't just threaten the worker at the refinery, but it also can threaten the local communities if the industry does not take adequate action. So you're talking about safety measures, not just for the people inside the refinery, but who are in the community living around that refinery, correct? Oh, without a doubt. Um, Anytime things aren't right in a refinery or one of these uh, facilities, risk increases. Um, It not only increases for our bargaining unit members inside the plant, but it increases for the communities around the plant as well as for the environment. Um, um, The reason we seek to address staffing now is is because our members have told us that this is a priority for them, that they they want us to address. Um, Not all corporations are the same, not all locations are the same, but too often we find that these these locations are short-staffed. Um, and as a result, in order to cover all the work that needs to be done, they're forcing people to work multiple overtime shifts to the point where they don't get the time with their families they need. In some cases, they can't even get the vacation they've earned. Um, they can't be at their best, and, and we, can't, we can no longer tolerate that. In order to maintain safety, we have to have our people um, um, mentally and physically at their best. And so we've got to address this forced overtime issue. This occurs not just in the operations personnel, those people who actually operate the facility, but also on the maintenance side. I also want to talk about this. You know, people are fearful of this. But again, this is not the motivation or the goal for the uh, union workers, uh, for these unions. Um, you know, if, if we had a prolonged a stalemate, right now we have 3,800, less than 4,000 employees striking. Uh, but this could lead... If it goes on and on and on, as you know, we referenced earlier, uh, to a nationwide strike, that could be thirty thousand union workers. This would be refineries, chemical plants, pipeline facilities. Now, that could affect the nation's fuel production—about two thirds of it. Correct? I, I think if this were to escalate, um, um, there are there is about approximately two thirds of the nation's refining capacity subject to this to this contract bargaining. Um, that could um, potentially have. Um, uh, much more um, far-reaching consequences than what we're experiencing right now. Yes, it could. Now, now Shell, Shell Oil, Tesoro, where you are, Marathon Petroleum, Lyondell uh, Basel Industries, they say they're committed to negotiating a resolution of the dispute. <laughs> How do you negotiate and show commitment if you don't show up for the meeting and if, if you don't talk, if, if, you don't, well, if, you, if you won't play ball? One thing, one thing you learn very quickly about this industry when you sit down and talk to them in almost any capacity, but certainly when you sit down at the barring table, is they're, they're very good about talking about things, but getting them to actually do them is another matter. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. We're going to continue this conversation. Don't go away, and if you want to join in the conversation, pick up the phone and do so. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Do you think that anybody... Whether you're a union worker or not, working in a refinery, working in a chemical plant, working 
hard that, you know, by the way, in this processing helps to keep our gas prices low, not just with the amount of supplies and the and the price of uh, crude oil per barrel. Uh, but when we do we want these people to be at risk? And we are back. Steve Gary's our guest, president of United Steelworkers Local 12591 in Mount Vernon, Washington. And we're talking about a strike that's taking place. 3,800 United Steelworkers union workers walked off their jobs on Sunday at nine refineries and chemical plants. And by the way, um, these process, uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Gary, these process, what, 10 percent right now when we look at these uh, refineries, these nine refineries and chemical plants um, of our uh, nation's oil refining capacity. That's what I'm told. Yes. Is this now? You know, every, you can't believe everything you read. Largest such labor action since 1980, correct? And if so, what what's happened since then? Because quite frankly, when when you look at the prices. If I were on the board of Shell Oil, which would never happen, but if I were, I would look at this and I would say, you know, we we got to sit down and look at this. We we can't risk, especially looking in, in the past, BP and other accidents, uh, to have an accident that could affect not just the workers but the community surrounding these refineries and chemical plants. Yeah, I think I think largely in the past, as a result of our uh, those who came before us um, in the 60s, 70s, and, and into the 80s, I think. Um, because of their actions, we were able to secure in those decades pretty good contract language, and uh, and, and that, that that helped secure these jobs, that helped secure the wages, the working conditions that we've experienced. The industry themse- themselves they tend to uh, they tend to have enough money that they they want to just give us wage increases and make us go away. And I think perhaps. Um, um, over the years, um, our bargaining unit members have thought that was acceptable. Um, I would say over the past 15 years, it's become increasingly apparent, if you know about oil bargaining, um, that we did have concerns that went way beyond wages, um, primarily safety concerns. Um, we've been uh, Safety has been a, a primary focus of our oil bargaining for quite some time now. I mean, we've had some success, frankly. Um, but we're not quite there yet. We've still got too much risk in these plants, and we, we know how to reduce that risk. And this um, emphasis on proper staffing and proper maintenance um, is one of the ways that we feel that we need to uh, um, really reduce the risk um, to more acceptable levels. And so that's, that's where we find ourselves today. Yeah, I mean, I don't think rules to prevent – What I, I love this, to be honest. I mean, not the strike and not that the employees aren't getting what they want. I have a – I don't know. I have a strong gut feeling that they will, Mr. Gary, and I know how hard that you and others who are in leading positions at the United Steelworkers uh, work uh, in um, these uh, events and uh, in these meetings to negotiate in the best interest of the employees, and I do see that your track record are definitely many more wins than losses, and I am confident you guys will win this. But, you know, it's it's like you guys are saying, don't just give us more money and we're going to walk away. Don't just throw money at us. Look, we want rules to prevent fatigue. To, to me, this is... I mean, to me, it's almost inhumane not to give that to your employees. Yeah, um, in order to really get a good handle on our our uh, industrial safety, um, you've got to know a little bit about it. It's largely divided up into two large categories: first, occupational safety, and then what we call process safety. Both of them are described um, in the OSHA law. Um, historically. The industry has been focused on occupational safety. That's the kind of stuff that 
individual workers have some immediate control over things like uh, things like uh, cut fingers, um, sprained ankles. Uh, maybe the the guard on the equipment is not right. Maybe you're working on a ladder. You got to be careful not to fall off that sort of thing. Um, those tend to be higher frequency but lower um, lower consequence events. We've long ago gotten a good handle on that kind of stuff. What we've been focused on for quite some time is process safety. For years, we couldn't even have an honest conversation with the industry about process safety. Those are the kind of things that the industry themselves, the kind of decisions the industry themselves have to get right. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Gary, hang tight. We're going to take another break. Steve Gary has worked as a journeyman machinist most of his career, and we're going to tell you uh, more about uh, this great leader at the United Steelworkers. Follow them on Twitter at USW Blogger. We are back. Steve Gary, president of United Steelworkers Local 1291 in Mount Vernon, Washington, is our guest, and we're talking about uh, the strike that is taking place for 3,800 United Steelworkers across uh, the country right now. And uh, it could lead to more if the big oil companies like Shell don't talk to these people and give them what they want with regard to safety. And again, we're talking about safety, not just for the employees, but also for the surrounding uh, communities. Uh, Speaking of, uh, Mr. Gary, do the communities around these refineries, around these chemical plants, um, you know, do, do they stand there and champion the cause in these strikes for these employees? And do they speak out to these big oil corporations, you know, for, for concerns with the environment and their children because they're living in and around these refineries and chemical plants? Well, I, I think it's probably different um, in different parts of the country. Um, and it certainly depends uh, as well uh, on how much um, people in the community understand about the potential for harm um, I think it's one of our responsibilities, actually, to help the community understand that. Um, you probably remember a horrible disaster in West Texas a couple of years ago when a fertilizer yes. company exploded. Um, you can only imagine how many people in that community really understood the potential there. Even if you had told them how much material was stored there, most of them may not have understood what the potential was. I, I think in a lot of communities, many surrounding communities uh, that surround oil refineries, uh, many people may not fully understand um, the hazards that could potentially be there. Um, and it's kind of our responsibility, I think, as, as um, members of that community to help them understand that. Certainly our members work every day and every night, these are 24-7 operations, to make sure that uh, we never have the kind of releases, fires, explosions that not only kill us but harm them. Um, but it is important that they understand what the potential for harm is, and to the extent they do, they are very much um, champions, and uh, they help us quite a bit. That's certainly true where I live in uh, on Puget Sound, Washington State, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Been there, beautiful. For people that haven't been to the Pacific Northwest, that area particularly in the Pacific, that, that's one of the areas in the Pacific Northwest that I could live. Uh, Vancouver, if it weren't in Canada, right? Uh, yeah, the uh, United Steelworkers International President, Leo Girard, who's been on the program numerous times, he's a friend of the program and he's a friend of mine personally, he said, quote, Shell refused to provide us with a counteroffer and left the bargaining table. We had no choice but to give notice of a work stoppage. And Vice President Gary Beavers, the heads of the Union's National Oil Bargaining Program, said, and I quote, we told Shell that we were willing to continue bargaining for a fair agreement that would benefit the workers and the industry, but they just refused to, to return to the table. And it's interesting that Vice President Beavers says that because I, I think people forget this isn't just a benefit to the workers or to the community, but to the industry. And the industry must recognize this. 
I suspect on some level they do, um, although it has been just – it's been very difficult to get the industry to engage us in an honest conversation about what we call process safety. That's the kind of things that have to be done in order to prevent these hazardous materials um, from entering into the environment. The things that have to be done to make sure these hazardous materials are always contained and controlled. Um, there's a lot of elements to this, everything from mechanical integrity, inspection, maintenance, planning, uh, fatigue is one of them, um, training, procedures, all that stuff is involved. It's been very difficult to get the industry to, to actually talk with us honestly about what needs to be done to make that kind of work done better and, and properly. And it's because, quite frankly, most of that work is their responsibility. And they don't want to share that decision-making. They don't want to share that thought process. Um, but we have begin, begun to be able to make inroads into that. What we're looking for, of course, is to have our, our members be more participatory in that kind of work and, and better understand what needs to be done. And we're getting there, but uh, it's fatigue this time. I, I'm wondering, after the BP oil spill, and after the fertilizer plant explosion in Texas that you referred to, just those two, and, of course, there are other accidents, does it amaze you that it had to come to this to a strike in order to assure the employee and the facility uh, that they work in uh, safety? Well, the industry, of course, is going to – they're going to have you trust them. They're going to try to convince you that, that they've got this, and they're going to do everything that, that needs to be done. Um, we have reason to believe that they're much more apt to do that um, when they've got someone knowledgeable looking over their shoulder. Um, if you understand something about these process safety regulations that I mentioned in the OSHA law, also found in some state laws, um, they're almost exclusively written with the word should, not the word shall. The industry knows perfectly well what they should be doing. There's also a, 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 an awful lot of what are called recommended best practices that the industry writes for themselves. In fact, there's one on fatigue, um, also written with the word should. Um, so, again, the industry knows perfectly well what they should be doing. The trick is to actually get them to do it. And it's difficult to do if you don't have some ability to participate in that process, which has largely been the focus of our, of our bargaining work. Uh, Carl tweets, something's wrong here. If there are safety violations... Why don't they report them to OSHA? Isn't that what this is for? Is, the, is that enough? I would imagine they are reported or obviously can be reported. On the occupational side, there is what's called the OSHA 300 log where they have to report occupational injuries. And they, they will bend over backwards to, um, to try to not have to make a report. There is nothing similar on the process side. Per, personally, I think there should be. Um, the, the, I think the public, the communities have every right to know when they can't get process safety right. Um, but to my knowledge, there is no such mechanism, um, though, I, again, I think there should be. Um, we uh, have so much to talk about with this, and I uh, so many things that I want to talk about. The United Steelworkers represents uh, 65 refineries. I mentioned it produced approximately 64% of the oil in the United States. Um, that's over 230 oil terminals, pipelines, too, uh, petrochemical facilities in the country. Um, it is also the largest private sector union in North America, representing 850,000 people working in a spectrum of sectors, including metals, mining, energy, and healthcare. You know, right now, there are polls that show that people, regardless of their ideology, are angry about the continuing disparity in wages, the income inequality. This, what's going on right now between big oil 
and people just trying to safely work and put food on their table uh, for their families, uh, you know, make a decent living wage and, and be able to take their kid to the doctor, or God forbid, the hospital if there's an emergency. Uh, this speaks right to that one percent of power uh, over the 99 percent with money and, and, uh, and also with power not coming to the table as an example. Oh, yes, I, I believe so. And increasingly, the focus in this industry, as in many others, is in shareholder value at the expense of everything else. Um, it's rather short-term focus. It, it's about what you can get right now and, and, uh, and not really much about how you go about getting it. Um, and under, under those terms and conditions, with senior executives enriching themselves and and uh, telling you that uh, you've got to sacrifice uh, your best interest, the employees and the communities, uh, to theirs, um, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to gain any kind of uh, equal treatment. For, if you could speak for yourself and maybe for some of the other workers, what is the most frustrating thing about having to strike as an employee? I know some people don't understand if they're not a union worker or if they've never been involved in a strike or put in a position where they had to make a choice like this. Well, I don't know what the most frustrating thing is. It's some of the things that you've already mentioned, um, again, the, the things we're trying to talk with them about are not going to cost them much of anything. Um, they accuse us of wanting to force them to establish some kind of minimum staffing levels, but in fact, that's really not what we're talking about. We're, we're trying to develop a mechanism that will allow us to simply understand what safe staffing looks like. There's going to be some facilities and some units that are already safely staffed, and there's going to be others that have some real problems. The idea is to engage them in an honest conversation with uh, local workers in these plants so that they can identify where we really do need to uh, make improvements and, and try to create some kind of a structure that allows us to make progress. Um, but again, it's it's, it's not about anything that really costs them much other than sharing information and working cooperatively, um, being allowing us to be a partner in the success of the business as opposed to treating us as if we're some kind of an enemy. Matt tweets, get this, he can understand you guys what you're going through in your pain. He said at the BP refinery in Whiting, where he works, they took away drinking water from everyone. He said you can't find any water out on the field. Again, inhumane. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's, I mean, from our perspective, we, we just see the, their response too often seemingly, it feels to us as if it's about power. It's not about common sense. It's not about compassion. It's not about partnership um, or cooperation. It's about power and control, almost um, as if, they feel they not only have a right to rule as if they're superior beings, but they have a right to rule without any question, without any suggestion that they have to account for the interests of others. It's an arrogance that, that seems to underlie an awful lot of this that um, is something that I think all working people increasingly are going to have to deal with in this world where it seems like the only people whose interest counts are large shareholders.
We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. Don't go away. Better yet, join us, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-6537-543. Questions or comments about this huge strike? Um, you know, what would happen if it goes on longer? I know some of you have fears, and some of you have fears who will live near uh, some of these refineries or chemical plants, and some of you totally know what it's like. Uh, you've worked in this industry, you're a union worker, or, uh, like me, you sympathize with these workers, even if you've never worked in this field. And we're back. President Steve Barry joins us from the USW. He's with USW 12591 in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, check out the website, USW12-591.org. Thank you for holding on, Mr. Gary. Let's uh, take some calls. And we started out with Jeff in New Mexico, Line 3. Jeff, how you doing? Good afternoon. Question or comment? Uh, good afternoon. I called in support of the striking workers. I wouldn't have known of how bad the situations were without them bringing it out. And uh, I wish them well in getting better pay and benefits. Because they're our first line of defense. A well-trained union employee is our first line of defense in disasters in the workplace and worker safety. So uh, my uh, best to my uh, union brothers that Uh, they do well in their, you know, in their strike. Okay, Jeff. Oh, no, no, no. Short and sweet and uh, very well said. Uh, Mr. Gary, uh, any comment on that? And very good point because people forget that unions often lead the way uh, with these negotiations and coming up with safety regulations that are often used in non-union shops as well, correct? Yep, that's true. I want to thank the brother for his support. Um, uh, Remind him that really this one isn't about wages and benefits. Um, It is about contract language that helps us reduce risk in the refineries particularly from process safety incidents. Um, again, I'll mention those tend to be low frequency but very, very high-impact events, and, and we need to do everything we can to try to prevent them. I know the refinery I work, uh, lost seven of our, we lost seven of our coworkers just uh, five years ago on Good Friday, April, two, April 2nd, 2010, um, and, and that's the kind of tragedy that um, will change you forever, and it's happened simply too often in too many places for too long, and that's what we need to end. Let's go to Joanne in Wisconsin, line four. Joanne, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Question or comment for Mr. Gary? I just have a comment. I'm a retired union worker from AFSCME, and I'm in Wisconsin where they have destroyed our union, the one I helped start at the campus. But we were on strike in 1977 for two weeks, It was basically about trying to get cost-of-living adjustment. We ended up losing the two-weeks pay, and it basically balanced out with the raise they gave us. We got back what we lost, I guess. But my saving grace with unions was that there were backbiting situations and crazy supervisors Without a union, I probably would have been out because I was the the whistleblower when we were getting toxic fumes pulled into our air handling equipment. Anyway, um, I came from a union family from way back, but it's just pathetic. Now they're going after the private unions here, and I hate to see it because right to work will just be tragic for wisconsin i yeah, think we, we see a lot of uh, out. <laughs> scott scott walker being your governor is tragic joanne we feel yeah joanne thank you for the call there in wisconsin mr gary any comment um obviously um now and then you have to strike now and then you have no alternative but to stand up and fight back 
Um, I like to tell my members, and particularly the young people we're increasingly dealing with who have not done this before, is um, the only way ultimately to win anything is to try. If, if you don't try to fight Amen. back, you will lose. Um, one of the probably most promising benefits of this, irregardless of how this turns out, is I think we're, we're teaching a whole generation of oil workers how to defend themselves, how to defend their best interests in a way that's worked for generations of our, of our parents and our grandparents. Um, um, there's tremendous benefit potentially over the next 30, 40 years in that, and, and I see that as a tremendous benefit no matter how this turns out. Uh, let's take another call, and we go to uh, Maria in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Line 3. Hey, Maria, good afternoon. Hi, how's it going? Good. Question or comment? Um, I have a question. New Mexico is trying to pass um, the right to work, and I don't, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant when it comes to that, because uh, from what I understand, it um, makes people pay union wages even if they don't want to be in the union. Is that correct? Or well, that Mr. Ga- Mr. Gary uh, could uh, could respond to. Mr. Gary? Well, I'm no lawyer, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the subject. Um, generally, right to work means you can't be forced to join an organization, even one that defends your best interests if you don't want to. Um, the trouble with that, is, of course, is that it takes a little income in order to do the work that that is necessary to defend those interests and and if you don't have enough people willing to do that, then then the organization simply doesn't function as it should. Um, I, I would hesitate to say too much more, only because I'm not a, I'm not I'm not an expert in the law. All right, uh, I agree with you there. <laughs> you got to you got to speak about whence you know, and you definitely know uh, about this issue and about this strike. Uh, so, and not and not just me- the- I would mention one thing about our own situation. Um, for example. Washington, even though it is not a right-to-work state, and even though many union um, businesses or shops or what we call closed shop, where people have to become a member as a condition of employment, um, in the oil refining sector, we have open shops. Our members do not have to be members. They're volunteers. And we have almost 100% participation in most of our units. And, and so they understand the benefit of union membership. Uh, no, no question about that. I, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, before we end up, because we only have a couple of minutes here, and I want to reiterate a couple of things. Uh, th- to be clear, the industry gave you guys no other option. I mean, your bargaining team made every reasonable effort to reach a fair agreement. The oil companies, and represented by, by Shell, um, they had inadequate offers. It was an insult to these people and to their hard work, and, and you guys um, had no choice. The entire time you guys were at the table, they never gave serious consideration to your proposals. And uh, you wanted to continue bargaining, even past that deadline, but the company flat out refused. You had no choice. That is correct. That is correct. They, they had continued to treat us indifferently. Um, at some point, you can't bargain with yourself. You, you can't continually try to change your own proposals, change them around, weaken them, whatever it takes to try to get their attention. At some point, there's a lot of diminishing returns. You can only try so hard to get these folks to put some kind of meaningful proposal on the table. If they won't do it, and then, of course, as you say, they simply walk away, you're left with no alternative. 
Absolutely. Thank you for being with Mr. Gary. We want to just remind you folks, the oil industry is the richest in the world. Its greed cripples any attempt to make meaningful changes through collective bargaining. Bigger profits are definitely more important to these companies than the concern of their workforce. And the fact that they walked away from the bargaining table is perfect proof of that. Think about that the next time you see a big shell above your gas station. I'm Leslie Marshall. Steve Gary has been our guest. Uh, more than a pleasure to have President of United Steelworkers Local 1291 in Washington joining us. On uh, Go to the website, usw12-591.org. The website, usw.org. And follow President Leo Girard on Twitter at USWBlogger. It's time to discover the world with your loved one. Turkish Airlines Fly Festival has begun. This Valentine's Day, you can enjoy 10% off in economy class and 15% off in business class for every two tickets you get. Book your flight with Turkish Airlines until the 14th of February and fly with the special fares of Turkish Airlines. For details, visit TurkishAirlines.com.